0: Okay, welcome to another broadcast of Sunshine USA here on Anchor fm uh, This is Warren Landis, your Bible teacher and host here on Sunshine USA. Uh, I want to bring to your attention the fact that I have two editions of Sunshine USA. One edition actually uh, airs on Blog Talk Radio. It's actually um, a platform that I've been using ever since uh, 2012 when I started the Sunshine USA ministry. And on that particular series or edition, I am doing a verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter study through the Word of God. Uh, There we started with the very first chapter in Genesis, and we're working our way straight through to the last chapter in Revelation. And right now in that series, we're in the book of Job. In fact, on the next broadcast, I'll be starting... In Job chapter 3, verse 1. Now, in this particular series or edition of Sunshine USA, which is headed up by Anchor FM, it also includes, for example, uh, Spotify and some other platforms, I do more of a topical or evangelistic type uh, of Bible study. And we started out this series in First and 2 Timothy, and in fact, we're still in First uh, and Second Timothy, and to be honest with you, I'm skipping around a little bit here, as Paul gives advice to Timothy, a young man who is in the ministry, and Paul is sort of taking him under his wing and basically trying to teach Timothy everything he knows about preaching and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I've often thought, you know, back when I was in the ministry, I thought, well, you know, I wish I had someone like that that would have taken me under their wings and showed me all that they knew about the ministry. Well, Timothy had such a setup. He was set up to have Paul as a mentor. And Paul made it his mission to tell Timothy everything he knew about the gospel ministry. And uh, Paul, of course, was the leading evangelist of his day. It would be fair to say that he covered most of planet Earth back in that day with the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are some Bible scholars who believe that Paul carried the gospel as far west as what is now Spain. Now, whether that's true or not, we don't know. That is speculation made by some Bible scholars. It might be true, it may not be true. The Bible itself doesn't necessarily tell us for sure whether or not that was the case. And that would, of course, depend on Paul having two different imprisonments in Rome instead of just one. Uh, Those who believe that Paul was imprisoned twice in Rome believe that he actually got out the first time, took advantage of that time to go west, as far west as Spain, then somehow got recaptured, Again, and was imprisoned in Rome, where eventually he was put to death. So, I guess not until I get to heaven will I know for sure what happened. That might be one of the questions I end up asking Paul. Paul, did you ever go to Spain? Did you ever go to Madrid? <laughs> you know, that would be just really very interesting for me to know. Uh, if I still feel I could support it, then I got a funny feeling by the time I get to heaven, man, I'm going to be so excited meeting all my friends and loved ones and relatives and all my favorite characters of the Bible. (laughs) It's not going to really occur to me to ask that question. But anyway, Paul and Timothy had a very unique setup. Paul being the teacher and Timothy being the student. And it made me think of my younger days in the ministry. And, you know, it's so exciting when you're young in the ministry and, You're just getting started. I remember the first sermon that I ever preached. It was about 15 minutes long. And in that 15-minute sermon, I covered just about everything I knew about theology. Now, I guarantee you it would take me a lot more than 15 minutes to do that today. I don't even think an hour-long broadcast, like the one I do here on Anchor FM, would necessarily be long enough to cover all that I have learned about theology over the years. Bearing in mind, I'm not a young preacher boy in my 20s anymore. (laughs) In fact, I was 19 when I was licensed to preach back in May of 1974. And then, of course, I was ordained back in August of 1979, in both instances by the Washington Avenue Baptist Church in Greenville, South Carolina, where the late, great Dan Greer was pastor at the time. And uh, But I can remember, being a young preacher, just starting out, you know, I think about some of the first sermons that I ever preached in the ministry, and I've actually gone back and listened to some of the recordings that I made when I first got started in the ministry, and I have to admit, there's a lot of fluff there, (laughs) not necessarily a lot of stuff, but a lot of fluff it was probably more wind dressing and not meaty substance if you know what i mean now i would like to think the preaching i do nowadays has a lot more meat amen but i want us to look at some more advice that paul gave to timothy now the title of this particular broadcast is wealth versus contentment and we'll get to the very heart of this message in just a few moments. I want to start off, though, with 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 20, where Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust. Keep that which is committed to thy trust. Now, you know, those of us in the gospel ministry today, we have to understand that the gospel has been entrusted to us And it is our responsibility to carry the gospel to the next generation. I heard one preacher preach one time and said that the gospel of Jesus Christ is never more than one generation away from extinction. Think about that. The gospel of Jesus Christ is never more than one generation away from extinction. You see, every generation has the responsibility of telling the next generation about the gospel of Jesus Christ. I thank God that young ministerial students are among my listeners here on Sunshine USA. And so on both editions of Sunshine USA that I told you about a while ago, I try to make it a point to share great ministerial advice to young ministers all across America and throughout the world. But Timothy here is being told that the gospel of Jesus Christ It has been committed to his trust. In other words, we are to carry on the work and the ministry that has been started by others. And we should strive to be just as faithful to the ministry as they were. It might be, for example, you're pastoring a church that's maybe a couple hundred years old. You recognize, of course, the fact that there were several people who pastored that church before you came along. And no doubt there will be many more coming along if the Lord tarries to pastor that church after you're no longer on the scene. And so it's our job to be faithfully committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ, which has been entrusted to us. It's an awesome responsibility. It is a sacred responsibility. And we must take it seriously. I always tell young preachers, if you have gone into the ministry thinking some way, somehow, you're going to make lots of money, you are probably sadly mistaken. If your desire in life is to make lots of money and be a millionaire, you better find another way to make a living. Now, I'm here to tell you God will take care of you. He will see to it that your needs are met. But if your number one desire in life is to be a millionaire or billionaire, you better get out of the ministry now because it's not going to happen for most of you. You need to be in the ministry because you're committed to getting out the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now we're getting into some of the verses that are at the heart of this particular message. In 1 Timothy chapter 6... Verse 5, he talks about perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth. You see, there's a lot of preachers out there that are not giving out the truth of the gospel. In many cases, they're teaching and preaching what people want to hear and not necessarily what the Bible says. For example... He says, uh, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw yourself. Now, anybody that tells you that the more godly you are, the the richer you're going to be, you better run away from that preacher just as fast as you can. Because let me tell you, they're giving you a message that you cannot find in the word of God. Does the word of God promise that God will meet your needs? Absolutely. But nowhere in the Bible, nowhere does it promise to make you a millionaire or a billionaire or a trillionaire if you're going to be a follower of his. You see, that's a false gospel. Now, why do such false gospel messages get preached? Well, preachers feel, some of them feel, that the best way to get you to give money to their ministry is to make you think that you're going to become a millionaire or a billionaire or more if you give money to their ministry. But I say if you're going to give money to a ministry, it better be because you love that ministry and you love the gospel and you want to help them financially get the gospel out to a lost and dying world. Now. Let's read on. It says, for we brought nothing into the, this world, and it is certain that we could carry nothing out. Now think about it this way. How many times have you seen a U-haul trailer being pulled behind a hearse? <laughs> Probably not very often. You see, the truth of the matter is, when you and I die, we're not going to be able to take any money with us. No stocks, no bonds, no investments, no insurance policies. Not too long ago, I heard this television preacher preach, and you know what he had the audacity to say? He says, man, I'm going to heaven, and I don't want to go to heaven broke. (laughs) And I looked at somebody that I was watching that telecast with, and I said, you know what? He's going to heaven broke. Because the Bible says we can't take anything with us. We came into this world with nothing. And guess what? We will leave this world with nothing. In fact, earlier this morning when I was uh, doing my series on the book of Job, you know, Job had not only lost everything, that he had, but then in the second round the devil got permission from God to cause these boils to form all over Job's body, and you know what Job said? He said, you know what? I brought nothing into this world. I can't take anything out of it. I came into this world naked, and I will leave this world naked. Now, the thing about it is when you die, if you happen to have any money, you know what's going to happen? Your loved ones are going to fight over it. That's what's going to happen. Now, they might wait till the day after the funeral, but that's what's going to happen. They're going to fight over anything you got left. Now, you see, in my case, I don't have to worry so much about that. And the reason I don't have to worry so much about that is because, to be honest with you, I don't have a lot of money to leave to my relatives. In fact, if they're lucky, I might have enough to cover the funeral. (laughs) And that might very well be about it. But I recognize readily the fact that I can't take anything out of this world. And I certainly didn't bring anything into this world. He says in verse 8, having food and raiment, let us be therein content. Let us be content with that. The fact that we have food and room. In other words, if you have food and clothing, you have a place to live, Paul's saying, hey, that's enough to be contented with. Anything you have more than that is nice, but God's not obligated to give it to you. Just learn to be content with what you have. He goes on to say, but they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. You see, he he says that money is like a snare. It's like a trap that Satan has set for you. And if you're not careful, you're going to get gobbled up by it. Um, just, uh, in the last couple of weeks, I had an opportunity to talk to a lady. She's an elderly friend of mine. And we were talking and she says, I've got to cut this phone conversation short. And I said, why? And she said, I've got to hurry to the post office before they close. And I said, why do you have to go to the the post office before they close? And she said, I've got to send $200 to this company. And they're going to send me half a million dollars in lottery winnings. And I said, now, wait a minute. I said, I think I can save you a trip to the post office. I said, let me ask you a couple of questions here. Do you ever remember entering that particular lottery? She said, no. I said, well, I don't consider myself a lottery expert, but My understanding of how lotteries work is something like this. If you don't enter, you can't win. So anybody that tells you you've just won a lottery that you didn't even enter, that ought to tell you right there, you're looking at a scam. And they said, well, they'll send me the money and the winning ticket if I mail them $200. And I said, well, you know, if you sent them $200, you know what's going to happen? you're not going to get the winning ticket, and you're not going to get the money or anything else. Now, If you're... (laughs) uh, You might get a check from them, but it'll probably be a rubber check. It probably won't be valid. And a few days after you put in the bank, the bank's going to send you a letter informing you that that check is no good. In fact, uh, I remember having another friend one time In another part of the country, she actually ended up going to prison for cashing a similar check that turned out to be bogus, and the bank said, if you don't make that check good, you know, you're going to be convicted of fraud, and you'll go to prison for a long time. Now, I don't know how that case came out, but you see, according to the word of God here, money is like a trap. It's like a snare that the devil uses to bring you down. Now, for you young ministers that are listening to this broadcast right now, let me tell you something. This is very important. You know what they say? They say the things that are most likely to cause a minister to fail is women, money, and pride. Women, money, and pride. And if you don't address those issues in your ministry, then one of these days your ministry is going to come crashing down because of women, money, or pride. I heard about this one preacher one time. He was determined that his ministry was going to avoid the very things that caused other ministries to fall. One of the things this minister did, he adopted a policy that stated that as an evangelist, he would never share a hotel room with anybody other than his wife. If she was traveling with him, she would stay in the hotel room with him. If not, he would be in a hotel room alone. And then he appointed a board of directors to oversee the financial affairs of his ministry. He had nothing to do directly with the financial management of his own ministry. And he avoided contact with the opposite sex. He said if someone from the opposite sex wanted a counseling session with them, uh, he generally turned them down. Or maybe, if it was urgent, he would get his wife, and he and his wife would go and talk with him. But he would never meet someone from the opposite sex alone. He said there's too great a chance that if you do that, you're going to be walking into a setup, and it's not going to be good. Well, let's read on a little further here. It says, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many errors. Now he says the love of money is the root of all evil. Now he didn't say that money is the root of all evil. He said the love of money is the root of all evil. It's not a sin to have money. It's not a sin to be wealthy. Now, I think it's a sin if that is your goal. If that is your chief desire in life is to be rich, I think that's a sin. But the fact that you have money, uh, there's not a sin there. Because you see, the fact of the matter is, um, it is the love of money that becomes the root of all evil. Think about it this way. Think about all the crimes that you hear about on television when the news comes on. Murder, kidnapping, burglaries, shopliftings. What do most of these crimes have in common? I'll tell you what they have in common. The desire for monetary gain. The desire to get something for nothing. That's what it's all about. And that's why the Bible indicates... That it is the love of money that becomes the very root of all evil. And that's why our desire, for those of us in the ministry, we should certainly have a desire that our needs be met. If you're married and you have kids, uh, certainly providing for your family. All of that is in the will of God and there's nothing wrong with you working hard to provide for your own needs. Now you know Paul himself was what we would call today a bivocational minister. Now he used to define bivocational ministry as a preacher that works for a living. (laughs) Of course now let's say you're a senior pastor of a church and that's all you do for a living, uh, you're working pretty hard if you're doing the kind of job in the ministry that God wants you to do. Now, other ministers, like Paul and even myself, are bivocational. Now, during most of my earthly ministry, I have been bivocational. Now, a couple of years ago, I decided to retire from secular work. So I'm not bivocational anymore. But I am still active in the ministry. I'm still preaching the gospel and teaching the Bible anywhere and everywhere I get the opportunity to do so. In fact, at the end of the broadcast today, I'll give you some information about how you could contact me if you would like me come into your church and preaching the gospel or teaching the Bible. I'd love to do it. It would mean the world to me to be able to do that. But I want you to see here in first Timothy uh, chapter five uh, it says Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those that labor in the word and doctrine. Now um, there are some elders which do both secular work as well as preaching the gospel. And Paul indicated they were worthy of double honor and those that labor in the word and doctrine. He says in verse 18 For the scripture saith, Thou shalt not uh, muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. Says here, Don't muzzle ox. I think if you are in a position of leadership at your church, you need to see to it that the pastor is well compensated for the job that he is doing. He needs to be paid as much money as you can afford to pay him. Now, of course, there comes a time where you have to be realistic. Sometimes you have to say, preacher, we would love to pay you what we think you're really worth, but... Unfortunately, what you're worth and what we're able to pay might be two different things. But we're going to pay you all that we know how to pay you. I remember one of the first churches that I accepted financial compensation from. I got a total of about $75 a week, and not long before my ministry ended at that church, they upped it to $100 a week. Now, certainly by today's standards, that's not a lot. In fact, I'll be honest with you, it wasn't a lot even then. But I really couldn't complain any because I knew that they were paying everything that they could afford to pay and maybe then some. The Bible's not telling a church they have to pay the pastor more money than what they've got. But certainly they should pay the pastor Everything they can, up to the limit, of course, of the church finances. I wouldn't expect the church to go out and borrow the money to pay the pastor, but he should be paid what he's worth. And part of the admonition here is to ministers to make sure that they are worthy of the pay that they receive. I heard one preacher tell his friends one time, he said, man, I got it made. He said, I preach one sermon on Sunday morning and then I don't do anything until the next Sunday morning. He said, man, I got it made. You know what? I thought to myself, that man is so unfit to be in the ministry, it's pathetic. Because if that minister thinks that all there is to his job is just bringing a single sermon on Sunday morning, and then playing golf the rest of the week. <laughs> he doesn't need to be in the ministry. And that church needs to get rid of a pastor like that. Now, I'm a little bit of a traditionalist. I'll be honest with you. I'm, I, I'm a little bit of a traditionalist here. Uh, I believe in having services on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. You know, it's amazing how many churches across America don't have services on Sunday night anymore. Folks, I'm here to tell you, I think that's a disgrace to God. Now, I mean, I know you can make the argument, where does it say in the Bible, thou must worship on Sunday night, 7.30, local time. <laughs> Bible doesn't say that. But I believe if we really love God and we really love the church, it shouldn't be a chore for us to come to church we ought to be begging and pleading for every opportunity to be in the house of God that we can. I, I've <laughs> you know, it gets funny. I know I'm getting on a soapbox here. But I know we've got some preachers. They'll say, well, you know, we're not having services on Sunday night. We want to give our families a chance to be together. Well, let me tell you something, folks. The families aren't even together when they're at church. You know what happens when families come to church? They get separated. They get torn apart. The children go here. The adults go there. The teenagers go here. The families don't get to sit together in church. And if you think the family's all of a sudden going to be together just because you're not having a Sunday night service, you have another thought coming. The teenagers are going one place. The adults are going one place. Kids are going somewhere else. Folks, I'm here to tell you, the Bible says as we see the end times approaching, we ought to be going to church more and more often. <laughs> I envision today when churches will say to themselves, you know, we think it might be wrong for us to have a service every Sunday morning. Some Sunday mornings, we're not going to have church in order for our families to be together. Well, folks, if that happens, they're not going to be together. They're going to be sleeping. And if you ain't got anything better to do than sleeping, you might as well get out of bed, come to church. Amen. Praise the Lord. Folks, I'm here to tell you, I, I believe very honestly. I believe very earnestly. We're living in the last days. And I think because we're living in the last days, we ought to be going to church every time the doors are open. We ought to be going to church every time we get a chance to. And if we're a pastor, we ought to hold as many services every month as we can. And if you think one Sunday morning service every week is enough for your congregation, you are sadly mistaken. And I would say, furthermore, if you're a member of a church and you have Sunday morning services only, find yourself a church where they do have a Sunday night service and a Wednesday night service. Amen. Go to that church. If you're a preacher, maybe you need to start a church. And announce at the get-go, we're going to have services on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. We're going to have four or five revivals every year. Maybe more than that. Even more as the end approaches. You know, I can remember back in the old days, I can remember when uh, revivals would come and these revivals would go on for a couple of weeks, sometimes longer. I remember one revival we had at our home church. The the revival started on Sunday morning. It continued on Sunday night, then Monday night through Friday night. We took a night off on Saturday night. The preacher said it was time for the weekly bath, and then on Sunday morning, we started our second week of revival. It continued on Sunday night, then it went on Monday night through Friday night, sometimes Monday night through Saturday night. And folks, back in those days, we had so many people getting saved. We had waiting lists for people waiting for an opportunity to get baptized. You ask some preachers now, when did you last have a baptismal service? They'll say, well, you know, I think it was back in 1978. Well, whose fault is that? Think about it. <laughs> think about it. And, and think about the fact that as preachers of the gospel. It ought to bother us when people aren't coming down the aisle and getting saved. Now, I remember when I was in seminary, we had this one church. And this was a big church. And you know, all the preachers in town, they criticized this church. You know why? Because it was big, it was huge. And so I decided, me and one of my buddies from the seminary, we went over to this church on a Sunday night. We decided to pay that church a visit. And you know what happened on Monday night? I got a phone call from the pastor of that church, and he just wanted to thank me for coming by his church last night and visiting them. And I thought, well, man, this is a church with 2,000 plus members. They had 1,500 people in the church service Sunday morning, another 1,000 in the service Sunday night. And he took time out of his busy schedule to call me on the phone on Monday night thanking me for coming to church. Folks, that was why his church was so big. He was a worker. He worked hard. He worked from the time he got up in the morning till the time he went to bed late at night. He was knocking on doors, making phone calls, telling people about Jesus, inviting people to church, getting them under the sound of the gospel. It wasn't that his church was somehow magically blessed of God. I mean, it was blessed of God, but it was blessed because of his hard work. You can't be good at your golf game if you expect to be pastor of a growing and successful church. You've got to put some elbow grease into the situation. You've got to knock on doors. You've got to write sermons. You've got to make it an endless effort to tell people about Jesus Christ. And and you know, folks, when people listen to you preach... When people listen to you preach, let me tell you something. They can tell whether or not you are excited about what you're doing. I remember hearing one time about this young man. He worked for a Christian radio station. And his job at this particular Christian radio station was to sell advertising. And, he, so, and so he went to a high-rise office building to talk to, to the owner of this big business about buying some advertising on his Christian radio station. Now, he didn't realize that the station he worked for was not a very strong signal. It had a very weak signal. In fact, this man's office tower was right on the very fringe area of that signal, and because of all the steel and glass in that particular building, it was impossible to pick up the signal of that radio station because the owner of the business, he said, well, let me turn my radio on and let me see what you sound like. He couldn't pick it up, but he said, you know what? That young man was so enthusiastic about selling me advertising on that radio station. He said, you know what I did? He said, I decided to buy some advertising on that station. Because I saw how committed he was and how excited he was about the product he was selling. And he said, I bought me some of that advertising. Amen. I want you to notice something else about Paul. And uh, this comes toward the end of 2 Timothy, if I can find it here. Toward the end of... uh, Second Timothy, he says to Timothy in Second Timothy chapter four and verse two, it says, "Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort, with all longsuffering and doctrine." So he says, "Be instant in season, out of season." Once again, let me give some of you young preachers some really good advice here. Always have a sermon ready to go. Because you never know when you're going to get a last-minute opportunity to preach. I remember one time it was a Wednesday evening. I got a call from a local church pastor. I got a call about 6 o'clock in the evening, and that local church pastor was asking me if I could preach for him at his church. He was a bivocational pastor, and he managed a fast food restaurant in town. he said, you know, We're so short-handed. I can't get away. I need you to come to my church and preach in about an hour. He said, can you do it? I said, absolutely. And, And I was really young in the ministry back in those days. I hopped on my bicycle, and I got my Bible, and I ran on my bicycle to that church. And I was almost out of breath when I got there, but I got there, and I preached that particular message to that particular congregation. You see, I had a message ready to go. So Paul says to Timothy, make sure that you always have a sermon ready to go. So if someone calls you right at the midnight hour or the 11th hour, and they want you to come at the last minute to come preach, you could say, yep, I'm on my way. Amen. Now, I'll be honest with you, it's, it's nice to get as much notice up front as you can. Usually... The more notice you get, the better job you're going to do. But always have a sermon ready to preach the gospel whenever you uh, get an opportunity to do so. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, he says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and righteousness. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God. I'm holding in my hands right now the Bible, God's holy word. And let me tell you something, folks. The Bible not only contains the word of God, it is the word of God. Amen. It is the word of God. And we are to preach it with power and boldness. Unashamedly. Don't ever let anybody call you unashamed. I mean, rather ashamed to preach the gospel. You preach the gospel unashamedly. That is what you are to do. So Paul, as you can see here, has some really great advice for Timothy. And then, of course, uh, he goes on to say, he says, uh, Referring to the last days, in chapter 3, in Second Timothy, verse 1, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful and unholy, without natural affection, trucebreakers, breakers false accusers, Verse 5, skipping down to verse 5, it says, um, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. You know, that's part of our problem. You turn on some of these religious TV shows today, and what you see is a form of godliness. But you also get the idea that they're trying to put on a show. They're trying to entertain you. They're trying to uh, entice you with some flowery message. You've got preachers today that want to preach more about positive thinking than they do the doctrines of God. You know, I tell you, if if I'm a Christian, which I am, I want to know everything there is to know about being a Christian. I mean, it's just like if you buy a car, especially if it's one of these expensive new cars. You know what? You want to take a look at that owner's manual. You want to find out all you can about that car. Because you've got a lot of money tied up in that car. Amen. Well, folks, every time we get out our Bible, we should have a desire to learn all we can about God. And learn more about how we could be used of God effectively to preach and to proclaim the gospel Of Jesus Christ. So Paul has here. In 1st and 2nd Timothy. Some great advice. For Timothy as a young minister. And like I say. I thank God that I have many young ministers. Listening to this broadcast. On a regular basis. I mean I thank God for that. And I hope they'll continue. Doing that. Now in our next broadcast we're actually going to bring to a conclusion our mini study of Paul's advice to first and Second Timothy. So you might say our mini study of first and Second Timothy it's going to come to an end in the next broadcast. We're going to tie everything together in what I hope is a very effective way. But what I would like for you to do is to pray for this ministry, if you would like to contact this ministry, you're, you're always free to shoot me an email, warrenlandis at yahoo.com. It's all lowercase, warrenlandis at yahoo.com. If you would like to send me a letter snail mail, my mail address is Warren Landis, 3001 Old Buncombe Road, apartment number 8, Greenville, South Carolina, 29609. That's Warren Landis, 3001 Old Buncombe Road, Greenville, South Carolina, apartment number 8, Greenville, South Carolina, 29609. And when you send me a snail mail, if you would like to enclose a few dollars to help us as we try to expand this ministry so we can get the word of God out, that would be so greatly appreciated. But even if you can't send a dime, we want you to know we love you. We appreciate you. And you can help this ministry by simply telling others about this ministry. Let them know where you heard this broadcast, which is also where they can hear the broadcast. And so right now I'm going to (laughs) tell you that I've enjoyed being with you on the program today. And I hope that you'll tune in again real soon. Until then, this is Warren Landis saying goodbye, God bless you, and I'll see you again next time on Sunshine USA.